Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that gives you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes, Mookie Alexander, and Victor Rodriguez. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 185 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined by Mookie Alexander and Victor Rodriguez, and today we'll be discussing Uriah Hall's surprising retirement, Kayla Harrison's call-out of Chris Cyborg, the latest fight announcements, Bo Nichols' domination on the Contender Series, and we'll take a look at the best fights on the UFC San Diego card. But before we jump into all that, let's find out what's been happening with the guys. My week has been... Uh... Pretty, pretty wild. But, and you want to know why? Because I haven't had my home searched by the FBI. <laughs> I didn't realize until very recently that if you're suspected of doing something bad, the FBI can actually go into your home and, and uh, take some of your shit. But uh, apparently that's the case. So I've avoided that. I mean, this is an impressive streak I'm on. Um, not too many people can say they've gone two plus decades without having a search warrant executed on their home. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I'm just gearing up for football season. We got our first preseason game this Saturday. Uh, I say we, I mean the Seahawks do. I, I will take no responsibility for how bad they're going to be. And uh, yeah, we've got fights to look forward to at UFC and Bellator and also PFL. But I do have to, to finger wag at PFL because they did this show overseas. There are two fighters in the semifinals who just got pulled from the card because of visa issues because they're doing the show in Cardiff, Wales. So I, that takes a real sting out of the tournament when half of your, you know, or two out of your eight participants on Friday's semifinals card can't make it to the country. And that sucks when a million dollar opportunity is on the line. Yeah. Could have just kept it stateside. The regular season <laughs> was the time to go overseas. <laughs> right. I'm not quite sure why PFL has been invested on doing this whole overseas thing, but it is kind of funny because the Welsh, and I've had a very long standing position on this, the Welsh do not deserve any rights. And um, <laughs> I, 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 did, I, did Tom I will, Jones insult you with his music or something? Oh I mean, maybe we can make an exception for him, but I mean, he might be like an honorary citizen of France or something, which are an even greater uh, degree of perverts. So I, I guess that kind of, I don't know. I, I didn't really do the math on that quite yet. Um, I, as you may be able to tell, my sound quality has not been amazing, but that's also because of the fact that this is yet again, another international edition. I'm on the Island. I'm super happy. I'm with my parents. I'm with my son. Uh, I have been shotgunning wine since about 1030 in the morning and, uh, I deboned and grilled two chickens plus a, um, giant, uh, pot of, uh, creamy pasta sauce that I have made. So I am, I am so good right now. So good. You're not going to find a happier Vic than this. At least, you know, not a, anything that isn't wine. That, that's, look, we're, we're working, we're operating on liquor uh, uh, licenses. And it's, it's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's been a week, I suppose. And uh, we've got some, we've got a lot of fights to look forward to. Um, we've got a lot of things that we need to parse here. But other than that, man, hey, boy's doing all right. I had a rough one earlier in the week, but we came through. So it's all good. I am having a, a pretty good week, actually. <laughs> I can't complain too much. Uh, my, the hubby's home for a few days uh, off, and it's just been nice. The weather, oh, we might get some rain, too. Yeah, I'm excited about that because it's been like 107 degrees like every day this week. So come on, rain. Anyways, let's go ahead and jump into the first news story. And as I mentioned earlier, Uriah Hall surprised everyone a couple of days ago when he put out an Instagram post with his retirement. So I guess he sort of virtually left his gloves in the octagon. Anyways, the UFC middleweight had a lot to say, so bear with me while I quote from his post, because it was very thoughtful and very well put together. It is with great sadness that I will be stepping away from the greatest sport in the world. I'm going to miss the incredible UFC staff that has become like family and mentors I have met along the way. The UFC has given me the best opportunities to step completely outside my comfort zone. 
Throughout the years, I've gone up against some of the best in the world at the highest level. Although I did not achieve the rank of world champion, I've acquired some of my greatest achievements from mixed martial arts, and that was facing my fears and being a champion in life. I want to thank the incredible fans. You guys made the sport what it is today. It is important to have the right people around you that care for you and encourage you to become a better version of yourself. I want to thank my team, my coaches, my friends, and my family for always standing by me. You all have been the driving force that encouraged me daily. Lastly, I want to specifically thank Dana White for giving me the opportunity to collide with modern day gladiators. Thank you for always supporting me through the good and the bad. To the next generation, you are the top 1% greatest athletes on the planet. It will be a pleasure to watch where you all take this sport from here. I will be watching. Go forth. I saw a post from someone two days ago when, when this information first came out. And he said, the worst thing that could have happened to Uriah Hall was the Adam Sella knockout. And I couldn't agree more because they inflated him to such gargantuan proportions that it was incredibly hard to live up to that. And calling him the next Michael Jordan or the Michael Jordan in MMA. I remember those, those terms floating around as well. I mean, I can only imagine the pressure that was on his shoulders pretty much all the time from, from stemming from that season. He had really glorious moments where he did great things and, and looked like the next big thing. And then he had moments where he would shit the bed and you wondered how in the hell is this guy even in the UFC? I think overall with his record being, um, let's see here, 17 and 11, I think he acquitted himself pretty well. He's got wins over Gegard Mousasi, Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman. He's tied for the most knockouts in divisional history with eight knockouts. Only Anderson Silva and Tiago Santos uh, are, are matched there. So I think at 38, this is a good time. He is on a two-fight losing streak, but before those losses to two really good guys, Sean Strickland and Andre Muniz, he was on a four-fight win streak. And I just think that, you know, this is a good time to bow out, and I hope that he's able to make it stick. I, I really don't want to see Uriah Hall and Bare Knuckle. I really don't. I, I won't mind if he ends up in PFL next year or something. I just don't want to see him in Bare Knuckle. I really don't. Gentlemen? Yeah, you know what's un unbelievable? Uriah Hall's very first loss of his career was to Chris Weidman in Ring of Combat. Mm. And I, I think Weidman had dropped him and then finished him with strikes afterward. And his final win in his MMA career, unless he wants to come back, um, is the broken leg TKO in the Chris Weidman fight in the rematch. That is absolutely crazy. All those years later, 11 years later, in fact. He, he's had a, a good career. Probably not as, as great as anticipated, but he still was able to break through into the top 10. Um, there were loftier heights, no doubt. And yes, um, I remember Tough 17, and that was probably the last, I think, truly compelling season, The Ultimate Fire, because that's when I think um, you, you had, uh, you know, kind of like the revamped format in the sense that they stopped paying attention to all the house drama and then the kind of the... the just the, the nonsense that, that goes around with, with being on the tough house and more focusing on the fighting and the fighters themselves and the personal backgrounds. And leading up to that season, there was all this talk about, all right, who is this supposed monster in, in, in this season that nobody wants to fight? And I know people were thinking, is it Tor Trang? Because Tor Trang was also somebody of, of interest on, on tough. But once we saw that Uriah Hall spitting kick knockout, that was like, oh my God, the, the whole gym was silent. And then Bubba McDaniel, that is one of the few times I've ever seen a dude just straight up terrified to fight because he, he just collapsed after the first punch and he was gone. But then he lost to Kelvin Gastelum and he didn't look anything impressive. And then he lost to John Howard. So he had his ups and downs throughout his career. And when he's had his highs, they've been really good. Like the Gegar Mousasi fight, he really had to dig deep there because, I mean, he was clearly losing the first round. He became the first dude to knock Mousasi out. 
I mean, that that was a phenomenal showing for him to to gut that one out and, and land the big shots to hurt and put Musasi away. And um, unfortunately for him, I, I've always gotten the sense he might be a, a really good dude just in general, but he almost has like an ambivalent approach to fighting, which is to say he might like the martial arts aspect of it, but not necessarily wanted to hurt people. And that's kind of weird to say for somebody who's got 13 knockouts and 17 fights. But yeah, I think there have been instances where he's kind of gotten in his own head and it has negatively impacted his performance. But um, in general, nothing to be ashamed about his career, that he was able to crack the top 10 in the UFC's middleweight division, produce some highlight real moments that reminded us of, of his potential. And I hope that his retirement sticks. I would reckon that he would get into coaching. I mean, Saif, uh, Saud is a phenomenal coach. They got a lot of good stuff going down there at, at Fortis MMA. I think that Uriah is going to be doing coaching. You know, the thing about this game is that the best you can hope for is that they can find some sort of a coaching gig or something after the fact. Because let's be real, he never really reached the upper echelon of the middleweight division, uh, such as it is. Because yeah, the middleweight is not uh, no longer a marquee division. You can argue that it probably was. I mean, well, I mean, when Anderson Silva was there, it was kind of a thing. It was an attraction, but not quite one of those divisions that was truly respected, and for good reason. I mean, as we mentioned, at least as I've said, ad nauseum, you have your top three or four, and then you have this weird cloud where nothing is really clear, and then you've got you know your your you know sort of guys trying to fight their way up the ladder. Hall was one of those guys who was always in that cloud, and he seemed to always have those flashes of greatness. He seemed to have had a good mind and 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 pretty much like all the skills and everything necessary, but there was always something holding him back. And, you know, if you look back at his record, and, you know, Mookie did a great job of, of, of establishing here and looking at, at exactly what it is that he did, um, you know, the, some of the names that he plowed through, like, you know, yeah, sure. Look, he he beat Awali uh, Bamboche and then Musasi with the highlight reel knockout. But then yeah. after that, it was three straight. Sure, look, there were losses to Robert Whitaker, who eventually became champion. Derek Brunson, who was looking a lot better at that time, and then the Musasi rematch to really set things straight. Uh, win against Yadko, followed by a loss to Costa. Then wins against Bevan Lewis, Antonio Shoeface, and then a very, very, very shot Anderson Silva and Chris Weidman. Um, you know, man, Uriah's record, uh, Uriah's ceiling, rather, had been very well established from very early on, and he did the best he could. He was never a bad fighter. He was just a very inconsistent and very difficult-to-predict fighter. Calling it quits at 38, I think is fine. Uh, he's had a respectable career. He's led a good life, and he, he chooses that maybe this is not what he wants to do, and he wants to, you know, whether it's within or outside of fighting, uh, he wants to pursue some other avenue. You know what, man? Good for him. Good for him. It's been enough of a grind. He's been fighting for enough time. He's been a professional since 2005. I mean, what more can you ask of a guy? And yeah, look, sure, his record is kind of ugly at 17 and 11, but what are you going to do? You know, there's only so much you can ask of someone. So I'm okay with this. I'm I'm perfectly fine. I think that... Uh, this is as good a time as any for him to call it quits. I don't think that any championship aspirations have been dashed uh, or anything like that. I don't think they were uh, really on the table for a few years at this point. So whether it was his training situation or his mindset or wherever it is you want to poke holes or anything like that, Uriah Hall was the kind of guy that you would respect every time he'd step into the cage because you knew, you knew that there was always a potential for uh, a really smart and calculated fight, or at least like some level of violence. And that's fine. Look, this is not for the long sort of thing. Not for everyone, at least. Not everybody's going to be Robbie Lawler. Not everybody's going to be Nate Diaz. Like, you're going to have guys that are going to fade out a little quicker than some others. And, and it's it's what it is, man. You know, it was just simply time. So good for him. Isn't it just crazy how many retirements, like high-profile retirements, so I'm not talking about people with nondescript records who never really amounted to much at the highest level, but like notable people who've retired just this year. I mean, Uriah Hall is the latest, but we've had Donald Cerrone, Yawana Yajacek. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll add Jessica I in there because she is a former title challenger. Um, who is the other women's strawweight who, who, who just retired recently? Uh, Felice, Felice Herrig. Yes, Felice Herrig yeah. retired. Did I mention Eddie Wineland already? No. No. 
Yeah, so so you got Eddie Wineland. I mean, there have been several others who, who I could think of who, who are also uh, hanging it up or, or announcing or, or planning to hang it up. I know James Krause. I mean, we led last week's show with James Krause retiring and Zabit retired. So th- this has just been a kind of a, a whirlwind 2022 in terms of all these contenders or, you know, fringe contenders or just, you know, high-level gatekeepers, just good fighters and people all around that are, are – deciding that this is the year that they're done um whether they all stick is a different story knowing this sport but i would think that the majority of them kind of have to yeah yeah i mean honorary mention artem lobo <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you thought i was gonna let that go no absolutely not no this one got me running that's <laughs> just not gonna happen <laughs> yep and he's, he's the one who originally had the proper 12 idea right I, I believe so. Yeah, he's the uh, the Scrooge McDuck of the whiskey game or whatever you want to call it. So good for him. That's that's great stuff. Well, we'll move on from there from someone who has uh, who basically has no signs of stopping right now. And that's going to be PFL champion Kayla Harrison, who has <laughs> in an un- somewhat unprecedented move was able to make us a bit of a surprise appearance on the MMA Hour this week. When she challenged none other than Chris Cyborg. Yeah, that's right. A champion everywhere she's led, including Invicta and the UFC. Cyborg is um, basically a big, big target of Harrison's right now. And Harrison has uh, really taken a bit of umbrage to the move or the announcement or the intent for Cyborg to move on to boxing. Well, it turns out that she says, no, actually, you can do that if you want. But I want to fight you in MMA, and I want to establish supremacy. And that, that's pretty amazing. Now, I'm going to quote what she said in the interview. And this is really, really, really hot fire stuff from Harrison. Let me know how you feel about this. Quote, we can do winner takes all, or we can do, you know, when she loses, she gets to keep her purse. If she needs help getting the deal signed, I will call Peter Murray and Don Davis and ask them whatever price she wants. I will speak to them on her behalf. And I'll go through a full drug testing i'll be drug tested every day from now on until the fight if she's worried about that and she doesn't have to be drug tested at all the only thing i ask is that they allow elbows what now it gets even better this is the other thing here they asked her or hawani at least has a bit of um uh, justifiably a bit of a question here regarding like why is it that the sticking point as far as the uh, elbow thing she says so i can put one through her skull now <laughs> Listen, I don't think we've ever heard Kayla Harrison go full tilt on this level this badly. But really, what else are you going to do about it? I mean, this is the biggest opponent she can get. Cyborg is scheduled to be a free agent very shortly. Why the hell not? This is exactly what the the kind of move that she ought to make. And she went on Twitter and she had the whole deal. And this is a beautiful one. This is my favorite tweet of all, right? I'm not going to read the whole thread, but I will leave you with this. And I'll agree to full USADA drug testing, and you can juice to the gills. The only thing I ask for is elbows on the ground to be legal. What? Guess what happened after that? Chris Cyborg went out on Twitter. Well, uh, let me let me just do the finger quotes. Chris Cyborg went on Twitter and blocked her. Um, yeah, and I have to just I have to mention this. Now I know some folks out there know this, but uh, Chris Cyborg probably not running her own social media these days i'll leave that up to you hey man listen um i think it's pretty bad i think it's boss i think it's fantastic because look this is precisely the kind of flavor that harrison has been missing in terms of the promotional muscle pfl can only do so much but she's going out there and operating in these open spaces and these unregulated waters of what the internet allows and has challenged not only someone who is a very, very big deal in the game, someone who is still a very intimidating figure and who uh, presents a, a high level of challenge, but she's doing this under the pretense of like, look, man, I have nothing to hide. I don't care if you have anything to hide, but I'll let you hide what you have, what you, whatever it is that you choose. It doesn't matter. I will make sure that we are on equal footing. And even if it's not on equal footing, I will defeat you even on my worst day. Now, I don't know about you folks. I mean, do you really think this is this might be the best way to present it? And I don't just mean about her tone, but I mean specifically the things that she said as far as the drug testing, you know, we'll let you do whatever drugs you want. I mean, do you think that that 
aspect might be something of a detriment to making this fight? Or do you think that might be maybe other confounding factors such as allowing for, um, you know, her release from her contract or, you know, did you really think that this is something that will materialize? Or is Kayla hurting more than she's helping? Kayla's not hurting anything by really digging in and making this a, a, a blood war, basically. If you want to talk about bad blood, this is the way to get it going. Definitely. I love it. I think it's fantastic. I don't think she's doing damage here at all. I think that she's going hard in the paint because she wants this fight. And as far as contracts go, Kayla's freaking smart. She's signing her contract in little baby increments so that she has an out all the time. They offer the right money. I think this fight gets made. And I am here for it. Please let it happen this year. Within the next 12 months at the very least. Because neither lady is getting younger. Okay? I want to see them when they're prime. Not when one is prime and one is on the way out. Make it freaking happen. Yeah, let's uh, let's not bury the lead here. Chris Cyborg appears to be done with Bellator. Or at the very least, doesn't intend to do much more with, with Bellator, uh, given her her contra- contractual status. She's a free agent. It looks like there's like a matching rights window that's expiring, and it, her her next fight is going to be in the boxing ring against a sub 500 opponent, which was a wildly disappointing reveal, given uh, what we were led to believe that Cyborg versus Katie Taylor was a possibility. Instead, we get a, uh, a nondescript opponent in Brazil. But hey, at least that's the start. I would like to see Harrison versus Cyborg happen. Like, I don't think Cyborg is done with MMA. And her being a free agent opens the door for such a fight to materialize. Now, the VFL side is, of, of this has been where we've made contact with Cyborg's team over making this fight happen. Cyborg says none of that's ever materialized so it's a matter of uh, who to believe in that situation because don davis one of the pfl co-founders said uh, hey harrison cyborg a million bucks for each fighter plus a two million dollar win bonus pay-per-view super fight decide the best inside the cage and cyborg's twitter or whoever was responding said she gets an equal fight purse based on what being your champion beating a fighter who's 12 and 13 all the pay-per-view she sold i gotta admit that's an impressive clapback because harrison hasn't had a pay-per-view event yet and cyborg has at least had some successful pay-per-views in the ufc it, it's just a, a compelling fight and we're at the point in time where if harrison is really going to be done with pfl tournaments after this year then what are these one-off fights going to be because if it's going to be one-off fights that look no different than her regular season and tournament you know regular season and playoff fights i'm going to lose interest and it's not lose interest in Kayla Harrison. It's lose interest in Kayla Harrison's fights because I can only watch 20 to 1 favorites for so long before I go, all right, can we please find some semblance of a competitive match? This would be competitive because you've got Cyborg not necessarily in the prime of her career. She didn't look great in that rematch with Blanco, but she's got the striking to really test Harrison. But Harrison is so strong with her judo background, and she's also bigger than Ronda Rousey that – yeah, maybe Cyborg would be a favorite over Kayla Harrison. But as far as I'm concerned, Kayla could be able to get Cyborg down a couple of times and make things really interesting. And Cyborg is also a fantastic grappler. So there would be some intrigue there for both fighters because who's left for Cyborg and Bellator? Kat Zingano? <laughs> Absolutely not. Zingano, after, after the Rousey disaster where her ingenious plan was, I'm going to throw a flying knee and hope for the best. I don't know what she could do against Cyborg because she's just at a massive disadvantage pretty much everywhere. So, you know, Cyborg has got her boxing thing coming, but I do want to see Cyborg Harrison. I also want to note that Cyborg boxing match on the undercard, and, and it has been on my mind for the last 24 hours, is seemingly a sanctioned match. I don't know if this is an exhibition, but... Asselino Freitas, Popo Freitas, one of the, the greats of Brazilian boxing and a former world champion, against Jose Pele Landy Johns. Yeah, yeah. In 2022, we got a Pele fight. Mm-hmm. What the hell is going on? It's it's like, really? I had to double check to make sure we weren't being punked. <laughs> I mean, that 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 sounds like something that <laughs> if we if we programmed a Kaposa bot to, to, to tweet that out. That's what would materialize. How Not old something is he? That... Wondering they... You're hoping they got the right Pele. Yeah. Yes. How old is he now? He's got to be pushing 50 or over 50, right? 
Shit, he's probably as, as old as, as soccer Pele. I mean, he, I mean, goodness gracious, I can't believe they would let that happen. Man. And, and needless to say, Asselino Freitas ain't a spring chicken either. Right, let me but tell you, still. Let me tell you something. My family's Dominican, okay? We know somebody lying about the age, okay? Yeah. <laughs> now, we're not going to violate code. I'm not going to tell you that the man is actually 73 when he says he's 41. However, as a man who also turned 41, Link, uh, <laughs> you see where I'm going with this, right? I, I just, God damn, like what... Brazil, baby, what is you doing? You, 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 you let Bolsonaro sit there for this long, and now you're doing this? You letting this happen? Oh, come on. Yeah, that's uh, that's brutal. But, uh, yeah, we'll keep tabs on Harrison and Cyborg and whether this can get done because it's it's long past time for Kayla Harrison to have a, a much more meaningful fight than, you know, fighting presumably Larissa Pacheco for the millionth time in a few months. Um, anyway. We got some fight announcements of notes, and one of them is in the UFC. The other, the other one is in Bellator. In fact, there are two UFC fight announcements. Now that I think of it, there's one that happened a little bit before we started recording. But this one is a main event. Sean Strickland against Jared Cannonier, main event, linked for the Apex October the 15th. It would be a fight night card. God knows this is not a pay-per-view. Uh, so Strickland lost at UFC 276 after eagerly and consciously deciding to strike with Alex Pereira in one of the worst choose-your-own-adventure decisions of all time. And Jared Cannonier uh, had a pretty tepid decision loss against Israel Adesanya, which he really didn't throw much, and Adesanya had no reason to get into an extra gear. So these are two top 10 middleweights nevertheless, and they are capable of being more exciting and certainly a little more strategic than we saw at UFC 276. So I actually, I favor Cannoneer in this one. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. If you're even thinking about picking Strickland, you're an idiot. It's it's a good fight. I'll enjoy getting to watch Strickland slept again. <laughs> because Cannoneer has some power. He certainly does. But it will also be equally fun to watch him get wrestle mugged just continuously. Because... I don't care how good Strickland is on the ground. He ain't getting by Jared Cannonier. I'm sorry. I don't quite know that I agree. And here's the thing, right? So Cannonier, another one of those guys who does not get enough credit for how smart he fights. But I really do think that Strickland's boxing, especially the way that Cannonier likes to keep it on the feet, and the way that Strickland's to take my take down defense and his work off his back to hustle and get back up. Um, I think that might maybe me. I don't God. Look, I, I'm not ready to make a pick on it now. However, do I think that this fight is hot fire? You better believe it. And in a division such as middleweight, where there is a dearth of extraordinary matchups, I think this is just this is just peachy keen. I think this is swell. I'm I'm back in the 1950s with all my compliments. I think this is excellent. I, I'm very very hyped for this. Um. This is more like the kind of scientific matchup. I'm curious to see how they are able to uh, square off against each other and do what they need to do. Uh, but wow, yeah, th- this is this is rough. I mean, Cannonier has that power to put Strickland away, but Strickland might be able to piece him up at distance and really chip away at, at him with um, timing and precision, and maybe just maybe start working his wrestling late to really establish a difference. So. Brilliant matchmaking from uh, the UFC. I love it. I think this is excellent. You can tell when the UFC, because now that we've got a differentiation between Apex shows and the fight night cards with crowds, you could tell how they matchmake certain events that they think this is a main event, but this could also be bad. So we don't want to put this in front of thousands of people and have them restless and having playing with their phones in the middle of the fight. This belongs in that category because <laughs> either we get an interesting knockout from one of these two and more likely Cannoneer, or this fight could be ch- terrible to watch, especially if we get the Cannoneer from the Adesanya fight and the Strickland from the Hermanson fight. But we won't get that Cannoneer because Cannoneer has no fear of Strickland. I, You know what? My dog, my cat would have no fear of Strickland after the way he fought that last fight. I think that Cannoneer is probably going to go in there and just bum rush him. I can't wait. I hope so, because I don't know if I want to sit through that <laughs> that many minutes of that fight. Um, so the other UFC fights to mention that wasn't on our show layout, but just got booked before we started recording. Molly McCann against Aaron Blanchfield at Madison Square Garden, UFC 281. That's the Adesanya Pereira card. So Blanchfield 
phenomenal prospect. She is 3-0 and in the UFC. She's also beaten uh, Rogan Walker-Sanchez, who was uh, on tough. And she's coming off a win over J.J. Aldrich. She's in the top 15. So Molly McCann, back-to-back, impressive knockouts in London, getting to uh, celebrate with the fans afterward. This is really good matchmaking because, uh, you know, this is an opportunity for McCann to legitimize herself in the top 15. And if Blanchfield wins, I know McCann is not ranked at the moment, but she is. She's at 15 now. She entered the rankings this week. Oh, well, that's very convenient because I don't know if those couple of wins merited a ranking. But still, if Blanchfield wins, then she suddenly gets a win over a ranked opponent and also somebody who's developed quite a name for herself as a result of her last couple of fights. And she's a popular character. In fact, this is interesting because it's in New York. There are probably going to be a lot of uh, English fans going to, to this card to support Molly. It's almost like it's a home fight geographically, but in terms of the crowd noise, it might not necessarily be for Blanchfield, but this fight is good. Yes, it is. I like it very, very much. I've already commented on it on Twitter. I think it's outstanding matchmaking, and this is going to be a real challenge for Molly. Um, it'll it'll be a challenge for Aaron too, but I feel like this is going to be more of a challenge for Molly because Aaron can fight. She's not just going to fall over. I I don't think she's a very tough girl. So I'm looking forward to it. I, I it's a you know what I, I wouldn't pick a winner on this one this early out, um because it could go either way because Molly packs power. My God, that girl is strong. So yeah, um I'm enjoying the uh, the matchup and I'll I'll have to uh, eyeball it a little better later down the road when it gets closer. But I love it. I agree. I mean, here's the thing. Blanchfield presents a certain set of challenges, not just as a grappler, but as someone who is, you know, she 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 does have, or rather she's made advances with her striking. Um, I'm not quite sure really how this will turn out, but I love the matchup. I think it's great. It's a great opportunity for Blanchfield. I mean, the winner of this is going to be sitting pretty in a very big way. McCann has not really been taken on uh, – a level of opposition that can be high. I think they've kind of been taking their time and been rather patient with their matchmaking as far as she is concerned. And that's good. I mean, I really wish they'd do so more uh, as far as their prospects are concerned across the board, but it's good. I'm, I'm happy that they're taking their time with someone like her who's got heavy hands, who's got that sort of patient game, who's able to um, work her takedown defense against someone who is a very, very strong grappler, but who can also pack some strikes and who's able to um who's also shown some signs of growth in her striking as it come along as well as perhaps uh, i or her coaches might have hoped i don't really know i don't know if she's ready for this type of matchup right now but i don't know that mccann is ready for this kind of matchup right now i mean look it, it seems to be blanchfield versus mccann it seems to be the kind of matchup there where i go like yeah okay right off the bat giving it no thought yes molly should be a favorite but you never really know. So, I mean, I think it's fine. This is this is perfectly fine matchmaking. I don't really have any qualms with it whatsoever. I think it's, in fact, quite the opposite. I'm, I'm quite excited for it. Good for them. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is great. Yep, it's a good card. We're talking about a hot prospect in just a couple minutes. But the last fight here, Patricky Pitbull hasn't defended his lightweight title yet due to injury. But it looks like he is lined up for his first defense against Usman Nurmagomedov on November 18th. It was reported by MMA Fight Universe and then later confirmed by MMA Junkie. So, Patricky Pitbull was supposed to fight Sydney Outlaw in Washington last month, but Pitbull was injured. Outlaw then lost his his fights against Tofik Musayev, who has a win over Pitbull and Ryzen. So, instead of giving the title shot to Musayev, which I thought they would have would have done, perhaps unsurprisingly, they've gone with the name. It's Usman Nurmagomedov is related to Habib, and uh, he's 15 and 0. But he doesn't really have cousin Usman. That is, he doesn't really have uh, an overly impressive resume. His skill set, no doubt, impressive. But from Chris Gonzalez to Patricky Pitbull, even though he's the uh, lesser, if you could say, of the two Pitbull Pitbull brothers, that's still a massive step up in competition. So uh, this should be interesting, though. Um, I'll always root for the Pitbull brothers, but. Man, oh, man, if Bellator could have a Nurmaga made of as a champion, because what we've seen out of Usman, he looks the business. Yes, he does. And as much as I love Patricky, this is a fight he could lose. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised at all. Of course, like you, I will root for him, uh, as I always do. But 
This is a very, very tough fight for both men. Usman, if he wins this, I mean, the legitimacy that will come along with it, it's not just about the belt. My goodness, he will have defeated a pit bull. And that's that's pretty phenomenal, considering how long those brothers have been at the top of the game. They've been at the top of the food chain over at Bellator for damn near a decade, maybe more. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, yeah, I, I, I dig the fight a whole lot. Hello, I am Cousin Usman. Hello, let me in. You know what, man? Good for them. Good for them. Again, Bellator matchmaking, throwing caution to the wind. Is Usman ready? Why the hell not? He's another new, he's not just another Nurmagomedov. He's one of the Nurmagomedovs that can actually strike and grapple and really, really make anybody fighting him look bad. Why not? The Pitbull brothers have been established veterans. This would be a tremendous feather in his cap with a win. Otherwise, if it were to go, you know, contrary to that, then we're looking at uh, we're looking at a Pitbull brother knocking back another solid red hot prospect who has been doing a tremendous level of damage. I love it. <laughs> Again, this is this is the kind of like it's it's idiot proof matchmaking. How can you say no to this? You might think maybe there's a bit of an experience gap. Like it doesn't matter. Bellator is not in the business of selling pay per views. They are in the business of selling. Fun. They are on a premium cab- cable network for a reason. They don't care about widespread visibility or anything like that. If you're already watching a Bellator show, you're already watching a Bellator show. And if you know what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying. Like there's no real need for any sort of extra on this. And that is a precious matchup. Why the hell not? Good. I'm glad they're doing it. Maybe. I mean, look, you, you might think that some other prospects might not be ready for that kind of step up against an, uh, such an established veteran. This is not one of those cases. This is someone who's got the kind of experience and background and um, and seasoning that you would want to see in a super prospect. But yeah, good. I'm glad this is happening and might as well have it happen now. If he's not ready for it now, when will he be? Same goes for uh, Pitbull in a way, right? I mean, look, he's not washed. I mean, not completely. So sure. Good. Excellent. He just won the title. He sure as hell ain't washed. He, he, he is formidable, <laughs> but... But he's well, you not know as good I mean. as his brother. Yeah. So th- this is certainly a much different. If this was Patricio against Usman Nurmagomedov, I'd go, hold on there, Bellator. But Patrice against Usman, even though I would have preferred Musayev getting the shot, I'm, I'm cool with cousin Usman getting it. Man, could, we, could you imagine the next 12 months we have Usman as a Bellator champion and Umar Nurmagomedov is near the top in the Bantamweight division? Like we could create a, a new Nurmagomedov dynasty even after Habib's retired. Yes, we could. A, a cross promotional too, right. like that would be some unprecedented shit right there. Hey, listen, I mean, <laughs> I'm not mad at that at all. That sounds pretty amazing, and that's good. It's good to see dominance established from um, a super prospect who has made it already to the main level. And speaking of super prospects, we're going to move on to Bo Nickel, who has recently made his arrival very, very clear in contender series. And if you've been following. On Contender Series, I have been doing previews every week, and I am not always super happy to make previews every week because they are um, very, very likely to have some insane mismatches. But this was a good one. Bo Nickel was able to take on Zach Borrego earlier in the week, and wow, he really showed that he is not just a not only not just a wrestler, but a guy who's got his submission skills, he's got his striking kind of where he needs it to be, but he's still a bit green, and that's not a terrible thing, really. Dana White was asked about his the potential of Bo Nickel finally making it to the UFC after his most recent win on Contender Series. Turns out, UFC boss, not quite ready to pull the trigger yet, and I understand why. And you'll understand soon. Now, let's see here. Let's look at the quotes that Dana had in terms of what he said after that fight. Quote, he's 1-0, 2-0 now, fought a kid that was 3-0, made it look really easy. Let's get him one more fight, and let's test him. Gets past that with flying colors, we bring him in. And we gave him a fight in the UFC. I think only one guy has come in at like 1-0 and and did anything. And I think it was Brock. And to be honest with you, I don't remember. Brock was something like that. So, yeah, he's a stud. If he wasn't who he is and if he wasn't a 3,000 to 1 favorite, I would never sign him at 1-0. I wouldn't do it. I don't know what else he could have done to look any better. He looked incredible. The only reason I didn't sign him tonight is because he's 2-0 now, like I said. 
We got eight more weeks of this. Why not have him fight here again? You know what I mean? It just makes sense. Okay, now <laughs> let's look at that for a minute. Let's take a step back. You don't have to sign him immediately off of that win, but you also don't really need to have him fight again later on this year or in the uh, mix of the uh, contender series miasma. I mean, it's entirely up to them. And I do think that maybe, just maybe, having him come into the UFC at a 1-0 or 2-0, perhaps that might be a bit premature, and that's okay. That is a sensible decision to make. Yes, sure, Brock Lesnar was an extraordinary case because of his NCAA background, but you can also say the same for Nickel, and especially in the way in which he won. And yes, that was a bit of a mismatch against Borrego, but I'm not really going to hold their feet to the fire on that because, look, man, who else do you put against a guy like Bo Nickel? It's really difficult to do. This guy is one of those mega prospects, much like we saw a guy like Aaron Pico back in the day. It's just a very different breed of guy that's coming in and doing immediate damage from the outset. Now, we're going to look a little further into Dean White's comments regarding that. Now, he referred to the matchmakers as this. You know, they brought him in. They obviously think he's ready. He looks ready. But why not give him one more fight? And it's not the first time I've ever done that either. Yes, that is true. They have brought in guys, have them fight more than once. I remember Gallo Borrello, I believe it was, it was last year, who fought twice on a contender series, was able to impress the brass with his wins, and he was able to make it to the UFC proper on the main roster, and he did, well, doing fairly well since then. Why not do that for Nickel? Now, look, I, I'm not really going to ask you guys whether or not it's premature to bring him into the UFC or not, whether he needs one or more fights. I think that perhaps a more adequate question would be, is the uh, would you prefer to see more sort of slow rolling of some of these prospects being brought in through contender series? And also, what do we make of the uh, ability that Nickel has had so far and whether or not how soon do you think we'll see him in the UFC as far as part being the uh, being part of the main roster? I think it's inevitable. I think Dana's just, you know, do, being Dana. And it is a sensible thing to let him get another fight under his belt. The UFC is supposed to be the highest stage for all MMA. So if you're letting in guys that are 1-0 and or 2-0, and that's probably not the stage that they need to, to make their entry into the professional level or uh, make the next step up because obviously the contender series is uh, at the professional level. But I, I just think it's inevitable. Dana's going to sign him because the, the guy is obviously talented. He's strong. He's a great wrestler, clearly. Uh, he, he seems to be putting it together. I, I I could do a little more with his striking, but I mean, he's still learning. I, I can give him a learning curve there. I'm totally down with the, this whole thing, but yeah, it's going to happen though. You're silly if you, if you think that there's any question about it, it's definitely going to happen. Yeah. I think him being on the, in the UFC is inevitable. What I do believe is they're going to match him up tougher than they did with, with Borrego, who, by the way, hard not to notice. I, I, Got, I was out of the house on, on Tuesday, and then when I came back, I ended up seeing the main event of Contender Series because it ran a little bit long. And Gianni the Greek, God bless him, he, he said there was value on over one and a half rounds. This fight didn't last 62 seconds. So, <laughs> Gianni, you did it again, man. I will always follow your advice by going the opposite way. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. he's got... 90 seconds of cage time as a professional and then however many seconds he did in the amateur ranks no doubt he is a fantastic wrestler i mean three-time national champion at penn state we have seen uber prospects from the wrestling side national champions go to mma and get get that fast track but i do think it's not a big deal if he has another contender series fight i believe that this was already planned in advance because he had talked to talk to mike bone uh, on, on MMA Junkie about this. Uh, like he, he expected to fight on Contender Series twice and then make his UFC, de UFC debut at the end of the year. I think he's on track to do that. So if we get a little bit more time to see his game, then that would be cool. But he might just be the type of dude who's just going to mow down guys who, who are genuinely regional-level fighters. And we'll have to see what he's made up on the UFC side. And just for the UFC's point of view... Middleweight's not a deep division. We already discussed it. It's just not a division filled with too many exciting up-and-comers either. Bo Nickel fits that bill. I'm not saying he's going to be a champion next year, maybe not even the year after that. 
but he looks like he has a ceiling to be a top five dude just with his natural athleticism, his speed. He obviously has power to the, with the way he got his knockout in his debut. It is in his MMA debut. Um, but of course, not everybody is a, a super prospect. So you don't match make all prospects the same way. So I think of Aaron Pico and Bellator. They might have rushed him too much. And yeah. as a result, he took some heavy losses and, and some bad ones, too. Um, but he's he's rebounded nicely. And they're slow playing him a little bit more. And he'll have a bigger fight, I think, after this Jeremy Kennedy match uh, is done with. But Aaron Pico is even different because he might not have not only was he a phenomenal wrestler, he been doing boxing since he was 10 years old. Shit, he, he was doing pancreation events. So he was an all around super prospect as opposed to just having a, a, a fantastic wrestling resume. So I think Bo Nickel is a, a phenomenal fighter in the making. We'll see a little bit more of him. We'll also see when he's going to, how he's going to react when he meets some resistance. But I would love to see him in the UFC as soon as possible. I don't think it's a bad thing for him to, to get one more contender series fight. I think that's the benefit of contender series over tough anyway, isn't it? Yep. That's right. Okay. Okay. Wait, I, I, I do need to add, look, look, I agree with, 95% of what you said. I need to establish a caveat. I would love to see Bo Nickel in the UFC, but I need to see him not immediately fighting a guy who's somewhere near or around the top 15. If he's going to be in there, give him the Sage Northcut early days treatment. Let him clean out the dregs of the bottom end of the division, especially middleweight, because good God, does that division need a purging? Yes, let him go in there. Let him fight some of the lower-level guys and work his way up. I am more than ecstatic to see that happen. That is perfect. That is the way to book a guy like this. You show him showing out his early era and fighting guys that maybe might have been fighting a bunch of guys that weren't that great. He racked up a bit of a record. From there in contender series to eventually making his way to the main roster and knocking off guys that were already on the brink of being cut, that's fine. That's fine. Look, every division needs a hatchet man. Let him be the hatchet man for a little longer than Sage Northcutt was and see where his development goes from there. And I think that's fine. I think that's more than perfectly fine. And that's really what this, I mean, this kid deserves an opportunity. He's got all the skill necessary. He seems to have a good coaching uh, staff behind him. He seems to have a good head on his shoulders. Why not? Just let it breathe. Yeah, th- that's what I meant. I didn't mean for him to jump into the deeper end of the pool because he's not Brock. And Brock also got the big push for two reasons. One, heavyweight sucks. And two, he already had his pro wrestling stardom. So they, they saw dollar signs. Bo Nickel is a very different story. He had, and, you know, it's the wrestling bits and what he can produce skill-wise, not necessarily his drawing power. So, you know, can the UFC resign Sam Alvey for one more fight? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tricks on see jokes on you they're never getting rid of sam out they might do so like you know like they might announce it but on paper somewhere nearby like no that man's got compromising pictures of lorenzo Pertita somewhere on a, a inside of a fireproof safe on a yacht off the coast of spain i believe yeah, yeah probably so keep an eye out on bill nickel both in contender series and when he is in the ufc because this guy already looks like a special talent, and hopefully with proper matchmaking, we can see him get appropriate tests each step of the way on his way up the ranks. He is a, a real gem. So uh, we got picks to make, UFC San Diego and uh, the Bellator main event, too. Bellator got ravaged. I mean, two, two fights ha- have been resorted to catch weights because of uh, weight failures, and another one got canceled. Alima Lee McFarlane missing weight. That's, that's a surprise. She missed pretty badly too uh so last week steffi was perfect four and oh uh got uh, jamal hill over t- uh, tiago santos correct we all did uh steffi picked jeff neal over vicente luque and that was what what put her over the top uh and then we all got spivak over um Bogoso sakai correct as did um the terrence mckinney eric gonzalez bout so we picked five fights that week priscilla cachoeira ariane Lipsky didn't happen so it got moved to this card uh, as in Cynthia Calvillo versus Nina Nunes, which we had picked a few episodes back at the time. So we're really just picking four fights. And then the other two fights are just you either keep your pick or change your mind. So we'll start with a fight that we haven't picked yet. Bellator 284's main event. Goichi Yamauchi moving up to take on Neiman Gracie. Hmm. That's a tough one, actually, because of the move up. And Neiman Gracie isn't terrible. 
He's not. You know what? I'm going to go out. I'm going to live large. I'm going to take Neiman Gracie. Yeah. I mean, look, Yamauchi is a guy who has had a bit of a knack for being bullied by some. If you get a guy who's like a bigger, stronger grappler than he is, things start to get a little dicey. And yes, he does have his striking in his back pocket, but Neiman Gracie, not exactly a terrible striker either. I mean, he is somewhat. I don't want to say he's like a completely like an all-rounder type guy because obviously we know where his bread and butter is. His wrestling is a lot better than most jiu-jitsu guys. I think Yamauchi might struggle here because not only is this a fight that's going to be largely contested on the ground, but the guy who is able to set the tone and pace on the ground is most likely going to be Neiman. And if that's the case, well then, damn. I mean, we saw what he did to Ed Ruth, who's a guy who's a, a, a much more you know, not only an offensive wrestler, but a guy who's got some pretty heavy hands. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if he can do that to Ed Ruth, then yes, I can see him doing that to Goichi Yamauchi. So, yes, I'm going to go with Neiman Gracie here. I think Yamauchi has a shot. He is the underdog here, but even though Gracie's not a bad striker at all, he's gotten better. Yamauchi's going to be faster, and I think he hits harder. Is he um, going to be but... faster at the heavier weight, though? I think he will. I don't think he's going to come in like too heavy. I, don't, I think he's going to look like somebody with a size disadvantage against somebody who's more comfortable at 170. But Yamauchi is such a, a willing grappler that that seems like a dicey proposition against Neiman Gracie because good luck trying to submit Gracie's in MMA competition. That just doesn't happen, uh, or at least doesn't happen very often, I should say. Um, this is a five rounder, too. And Neiman might have lost to Logan Storley. But he at least showed he can go five. And also, he's fought in the tournament. And he was able to go five rounds in, in, in those fights, or at least prepare. So he's experienced on that front. I mean, Gracie might be one and two when the fight goes the full five rounds. Or, yeah, sorry, after round three. Because he beat Ed Ruth in the fourth round. He lost decisions to McDonald and Storley. But he can show that he, he can go 25 minutes. So I'm going to go with Gracie here. Um but it's a fascinating fight because they're both terrific grapplers. One is a little bit better on the feet than the other. But I, I think that we're not going to get two grapplers kickboxing for 25 minutes. Because <laughs> God knows that's like the default option for so many of these fights. So we're all picking Gracie over <laughs> Yamauchi. Uh, next up on the UFC side, we already picked Kachuera Lipsky. Steffi stuck with Kachuera. Victor and I went with Lipsky. So I'm just going to ask you two. Are you going to change your mind or are you going to stick with your pick? I'm going to change my mind. I guess I'm going to go with Lipsky. I, you know, again, these uh, when you get these matchups that you really have, you know, who do I trust the least? Uh, th th that's really what I'm looking at. And I guess, look, Kashueta, she can absorb a lot of damage and then really, uh, you know, kind of do like Bishop from the X-Men, dish it out late. You know, just like take everything you throw at her and then just give it back to you, you know, threefold or whatever. I, I just... God damn. I, I, I look, I'm going to stick with Lipsky for now because she is the more technical and solid fighter. She has better instincts, but I just can't help it. Like, I, I, I'm trying to think where is it that she fell off between her KSW days and now? And I can't quite put my finger on what it is. I mean, was she always with American Top Team? Did something happen with her training there? Like, where did things fall off? I don't know. But Kashueta is unfortunately not someone I can trust. And I no disrespect to her. I don't know that I would really consider her a, you know, what, what we were led to believe is a, quote, UFC caliber fighter, quote. Yeah, I just like that. That's really what bugs me here. I, I'm going to go with Lipsky. Whatever. I don't care. I'm keeping my Lipsky pick, but man, that weight cut being bad with, with COVID and everything has me questioning if she's going to come in in her, in her absolute best form this this Saturday, or if this fight even happens at all. Because who who's to say that the the Mookie curse doesn't conjure up again and we end up with another cancellation? So now we're all. But what, wait, wait, what is? Uh, I'm sorry, but what does it say that here we here we are, Lipsky recovering from COVID, and we're still kind of casting doubt? Like, what does that really say about this matchup? I, it I says know. that it's a fighter between Gicht versus Gicht. It's, but it's a set of guy. It's, it's Gal. Gal, Gal that we can't Pretty trust much. at all. Um, Pretty so, much, yeah. Moving on. Angela Hill and Lupe Godinez. That's the featured prelim. Shit, this should be on the main card. I think this is a catch rate because they moved this fight up a month on short notice. So this is, this is a pretty tricky fight to call. It is. I'm going to take Angie. I think she can defend. You know, I really love Lupe. I do. 
I think that Angela presents a style, though, that is not beneficial to her best attributes. Here's the thing. Loopy is a very good wrestler. She's got her striking kind of come getting there. The experience edge is going to be the bigger factor here. I can't pick against Angie. I, I just, I, I don't feel it. I don't really, I think that unfortunately, you know, she has had some decision losses that haven't gone her way that she should have had gone her way. Um, that notwithstanding, I think this is one of those bouts where she should be able to weather that storm and beat back a younger prospect. Um, as good as Lupi is with her takedowns, I, I don't know. I don't know if she's ready really for this level of opposition. We could be pleasantly surprised. Either way, I really expect this to be a very good and very exciting bout, uh, something of a tactical fight, but I'm going to go with Angie. You know, Angela Hill's lost five of her last six, but look at the names. Gadelia, Watterson, she arguably could have won at least one of those two fights. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Beat Ashley Yoder uh, in a rematch I don't think was necessary. And then clear loss to Tisha Torres, a close loss to Amanda Limos, a pretty clear loss to you know, Yanda Joba. So those are pretty high-level fighters that yeah. she's losing to. A couple of them former title challengers or, or at least serious uh, contenders because I don't remember. Did Tisha ever fight Joanna for the belt? No. No, that was a non-title fight. So Gadelia would be the former title challenger in that case. But um, I'm worried about Angela against the wrestling of Godinez because if this becomes a if this is a case where she can't get her strikes off because Godinez is constantly pressuring and able to get her to the ground over and over, then Godinez is going to win this. But if Lupi fancies herself to be a striker, she's in for a tough night. Or if Hill ends up being able to stuff her takedowns, that could be interesting too. So. Um, I'm tempted to go Godinez here, but it's kind of a case where, and I don't do this for everybody, until I see it, I, I'll, I'll believe that Angela Hill can still beat um, the, the, the lesser of, of the division fighters compared to her against the top 10. Godinez has got good upside, but I think he'll will be able to just eat this one out. So I'm picking uh, Hill and everybody else is too. So we're unanimous there. Uh, on the main card, Bruno Silva and Gerald Mearshart. That's a, a stylistic clash for you. I'm going to take Bruno Silva. <laughs> you know, Gerald Mearshart's been in this game for a long time, but I cannot call him well-rounded. I can call him phenomenal in the grappling department, and that's that's pretty much it. He's pretty much mid everywhere else. Same. <laughs> well, what else really can I say about this? I mean, you know, Gerald is one of those guys, like, you're always rolling the dice when you pick him. He's an extraordinary grappler, but he takes a lot of damage for him to get to where he needs for the fight to be uh, somewhat uh, in advantageous territory. So, you know what? Uh, I, I don't even care. I'm going to go with Bruno Silva. Pull the trigger. Let's go. I love Bruno Blindado. Um, if he can avoid like Mirshar pulling guard or something, getting in caught with something crazy because he's been submitted a bunch in his career. Um, so that gives Mirshar an opportunity. But on the feet, oh boy, that could be bad for Gerald. Just, uh, just you know, if I'm Bruno, I don't want to beat him up too much because Gerald can play the hell out of that saxophone. <laughs> I want him to walk out playing like the, the, the intro to Baker Street or something. Um, like that, that would be cool. So we're, we're, we're all going with Jesus, uh, just like the very best episode of Rick and Morty. Yes. Baker street. Absolutely. And if you just, uh, as a bit of a nugget for you pro wrestling heads out there, look up the video of great power. Uti. Uh, just, if you want a saxophone flashback, look that up the Nigerian Hulk Hogan. That's all I got to say about it. All right. Keep that in mind, everybody. So we're all going with Blindado over Mirshard. So um, Cynthia Calvillo, Nina Nunes. Again, we picked that before. I went with Nunes. You two went with Calvillo. So are you changing your pick? This is a yes or no. Yes, I'm changing my pick. I don't know. <laughs> is, is that good? Um, <laughs> Nunes versus Calvillo. Shit. I, God, again, another who do I trust? Nunez has been on the shelf for, I mean, God knows who, how long. And then Calvillo has been terribly inconsistent. But I guess, I guess that Cynthia's output and her volume might be what makes more of a difference here. Um, sure, whatever. I'll, I'll stick with Cynthia. Why not? All right. So I'm sticking with my pick. So Steffi is, has joined me in picking Nina Nunez over Cynthia Calvillo. Now to the co-main events, uh, David Onama against Nate Landwehr. Uh, this is an odd co-main event. I don't think it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be uh, Grasso and Arojo, but we got this instead. But Landwehr is a really fun fighter, and Onama is a good prospect. So who wins? Onama. 
Clear cut to me, you know Victor. You know what? You know what? It's Onama time for me too. I love the guy. I don't know. I, I, I I'm seeing a lot of good things out of him, and why the hell not? Landwehr, good dude. He does a lot of things right, but Onama, my God, this dude could be a uh, part of the future uh, upper echelon of that division. So I'm gonna go with him. Yeah, I, I get the same sense. I mean, this last fight he had on, on, on short notice, I forgot his opponent's name, but, you know, it's a dude he had already beaten before. And he had some difficulties because the guy's kind of an awkward fighter. But I, I still think Onama's got good potential to to at least crack the top 15 at featherweight. Landwehr, I think, is going to be a little bit too defensively uh, problematic for his own good, and Onama might end up getting stopped. So I'm going to go with Onama striking to... Uh, win in this fight so we're all picking onama over land we're now to the main event marlon vera and dominic cruz aka the two fighters i've repeatedly picked against over the years so i'm gonna have to pick one of them uh but what about you two who's going to win this fight marlon vera i don't need any rhyme or reason i just know because marlon vera is the hungriest dude in the entire ufc i'm sure of it are you saying that because he's skinny you got a bias against skinny dudes being start being these hungry starving dudes right now Steffi? is that what <laughs> <laughs> um look I, I mean this whole card is kind of i mean well not whole i mean but but part of this card is like alliance versus the world and cruz obviously being the you know the most visible representative of that camp but oh, god damn how do i pick against cheeto here how i mean sure he lost to aldo but i mean look at the resurgent 135 aldo we're talking about so does this really count is that really something that we would consider a knock against him I'm not quite sure. Um, Cruz is the guy who have who we would have a lot more questions about. I guess I, he would have to do a lot in terms of volume and speed and um, his evasiveness in terms of like like trying landing those shots, getting out of the way of the counters, and then being able to reestablish the, uh, the 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 conditions of conflict for this whole thing to be like on that same pace. And I think he might be able to do that. He might be able to gut out a bit of a cerebral performance here, but I'm still going to go with Vera and I'm not exactly sure if I can put my finger on why, and I don't really care to do any deeper examination regarding the matter. So yes, I'm going to go with Cheeto. Congratulations. You know, Vera is not the fastest of starters and that's a benefit to Cruz because Cruz has had, you know, he almost got stopped by Munoz in the very first round of their fight. Um, the wrestling of Cruz could be pivotal here because if you can get Vera down consistently, that's going to have an impact on, on Vera's ability to just be aggressive with his striking. And we know how difficult it is to hit Cruz cleanly. Um, Cruz is striking. I don't think it's going to matter too much. He's, he's trying to throw harder, it seems. Like he's trying to throw with, with, with more power, even though he's not a heavy hitter. And he was able to outstrike Munoz those last couple of rounds. So it might not be a style that I particularly am enamored with the way others are, but it's effective for him. And it's why he's been a former champion and, and one of the greats in Bantamweight history. But I, I've been downing Marlon Vera too much. I can't anymore. He's just got that single strike danger that can turn rounds and fights around. Think of that Rob Font fight. How do you get outstruck like two and a half or three to one and still win a very comfortable decision because you rock Font repeatedly and, and score several knockdowns. So I think that there's too much danger in Vera's offense for Cruz to avoid successfully over 25 minutes. So if this was the Cruz of his best years, I would pick Cruz without hesitation. But in 2022, I think this is the level that Cruz can't quite reach anymore. So I'm going with Chito, baby. So we're unanimous on Vera. Our only pick difference is Victor sticking with Calvillo over Nunes. I neglected to reveal the standings, but I'm now only two ahead of Steffi who is now eight ahead of Victor. So you can read the rest of our picks over Bloody Elbow. Before we go, Judo Gene, rest in peace, my man. Yes, indeed. We lost a legend. Yes. It mm. is time for us to wrap. So do me a favor. Go over and follow Victor on Twitter, at VicMRodriguez, and do check out his Instagram, Victor Sinister Rodriguez on Instagram. He is in the Dominican Republic right now, I know. He'll be posting food and island photos and all sorts of cool stuff, so check him out. And do follow Mookie on Twitter, at Mookie Alexander, and check him out on SB Nation's Field Goals website, where he's the managing editor and always there to uh, guide new fans along. Uh, you can check me out on Twitter, that's Crooklyn MMA, the show, 
at Level Change Pod. We're also available on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Level Change Podcast. We are all featured on bloodyelbow.com. So you can check out our external work there. And let's see, if you listen to the pre-recorded outro, you will get to listen to Mookie's dulcet tones tell you all the other platforms you can find this show and all the other great Bloody Elbow present shows. So until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and Radio Style Play-by-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog, and as always on bloodyelbow.com. <laughs>